0: Good morning. My name is Matt Kerber, I'm a pastor at City Reformed and today is a very special Sunday. Um, Whenever we have a month with five Sundays in the month, on the fifth Sunday we do what we call an an all-ages worship service, or, or at least the part of the worship service, the sermon, where normally children are dismissed for children's church, they don't go, instead they stay. So today during this sermon our children of all ages will be here. We do that very intentionally as a reminder that everything happening in children's church is a preparation to enter more fully into the life of the church. We don't send our children away because we don't like them. We send them away to be prepared. And those teachers and workers are helping to prepare them more thoroughly for what we're doing. Now, as we do, we recognize that there could be, uh, there is an inclusion of children in our service that are not as used to sitting in the sermon. And so uh, we have a couple things to help you. You have a little uh, packet of things that you could look at. You also have in your bulletin insert a little spot here. This is like this insert we normally do, but you'll notice there's some fill in the blanks. Now if you fill in the blanks and you come forward to me at the front at the end, I will give you a lollipop. All right, and this is not a strict age limit on this. We do have a lot of lollipops. If you're not able to write yet, we have a spot, a little box, you could draw a picture. Uh, and if you bring forward your picture or your words or both, we um, have a great, great chance for us to, to talk together and and uh, uh, talk about the sermon. So anyway, come to the front afterwards, that'll help you. Um, we are, uh, in, in God's good leading, at a part of the Bible where we get to read a great sermon in the Bible. The last time we had an all-ages service, we, were, we read a, a passage from, from the book of Acts, a great sermon from the New Testament. Today we have a great sermon from the Old Testament, a sermon in the book of Nehemiah by Ezra the scribe. Uh, I'm going to read the passage, and then together we'll affirm that this is God's word. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his right hand, Pedaiah. Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanum, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and, he opened, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with his face to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akob, Shabbathai, Hodiah, uh, Hodiah, Messiah, Calatah, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I introduced this by saying this is one of the great sermons of the Old Testament. But I need to be careful because when I use the word sermon to describe what's happening in Nehemiah, I'm really guilty of something called anachronism. I'll just explain that word. That's a big word. It means when you describe something old using a more modern word. For example, what I have before me Uh, is a map. It's a map of Central Park in New York City. Sometimes when I take an an old map like this I do something that's very new. If I'm looking at the map and it's really hard to read it, do you know what I do instinctively? I try to open it with my fingers. (laughs) Now you all know how foolish that is. If you have a map on your cell phone you can open it or click on it but this map is not a map you can move with your fingers. Another example of anachronism is, shows up in our language. Maybe you've gone to your grandma's house and you've noticed that she has a cell phone that attaches to a cord and sits on the wall. And if you say to her, Grandma, why does your cell phone have a cord on it? How do you talk in the car? What you're doing is you're thinking about cell phones in a modern way and you're forgetting that in the olden days, every phone was attached to the wall. Now, sometimes, if we remember the fact that these older things are a little different, we can still learn a lot from them. Maybe you've seen an old picture of the city of Pittsburgh. Do you know that in in the olden days in Pittsburgh, they used to have automobiles that were pulled by horses? Now, again, I'm doing the same thing. They didn't call it an automobile, but it was very similar. The people got into them, and someone might take them to the place that they needed to go and if you study the olden days when they had automobiles drawn by horses you actually could learn some very helpful things in fact this week i learned on the internet that the reason we drive on the right side of the road is because that the teamsters with big horse drawn automobiles like to be sitting on the one side and they like to have the other uh... other horse-drawn carriages come on the other side so even the reason we do things like that today comes from a practice that's older, but it's different. When we look at this today, we can say there are a lot of similarities in this passage to a sermon. We don't want to forget that some things are different. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra are living in a time a long time ago, 2,500 years ago. They are living in a very different place, in a very different culture. They lived in a time before the people had seen the full salvation of God in Jesus Christ. We don't want to forget those differences whenever we learn learn about it. And the thing that's happening in the passage today is not exactly like the sermons that you might experience. We're in the middle of a sermon right now, if you didn't know that. So there is a, a similarity between them, but there's also some differences. For instance, this was a really long sermon. Did you notice that? You might think that our sermons are pretty long, about 35 minutes usually. But Ezra got up and read, it says, from morning till midday. It may have been as long as six hours. You can be thankful we're not that long when you're sitting through this sermon. And we also remember that the people weren't exactly gathering in the church service the way we are. So there's some important differences there. But there are also a lot, a lot of similarities. What was happening in this passage is that the people had been gathered together for an assembly. Last week we read a passage in which Nehemiah the governor said I'm going to call an assembly of the people. He was going to get a genealogy, but it also was an occasion for the people to be renewed spiritually. For the first 7 uh, 6 actually 6 chapters of the book in Nehemiah, the people of God have been rebuilding their city. And for the next 6 chapters, we're in the we're at the beginning of that now. The next 6 chapters God is renewing them spiritually. The way he does that is by using the Word of God, the Holy Bible. What they had is not the same as our Bible, but there are all a lot of similarities. God was using that to renew them spiritually. This is a very important part of the book. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to see the people confessing their sin, celebrating the great feasts and festivals uh, that, that God had given to them in the law of Moses. And we're going to see them recommit themselves to God both in words and in practice. But what's going to happen first for them as it is for us is that they will hear God speaking, they will understand it, and they will be changed. So I think even though the word could be anachronistic, right? if you haven't got your blanks yet, that's using a new word to describe an old thing, there's a lot we can learn as we look at this ancient sermon. I'd like to look at five things today that we see as we look at it. And I think it's a helpful thing to examine because it was a very effective sermon. The people understood. They saw God more clearly, and they were changed by it. So five things we'll, we'll look at, and we'll just move down the list that you have in your outline. Uh, the first thing that we can learn as we look at this is that God was recognized as the ultimate author of the message Now, uh, look with me here as we look a little more closely uh, in the passage. God is the author of the message. Uh, We see that what they are reading in verse 1 is the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded to Israel. There's a lot going on in that sentence. That is the thing that Ezra is reading to the people when they gather in the assembly. That is the content of his sermon. Uh, Whenever we speak about the books of the law of Moses, it probably means that, that the author here is referring to the first five books of the Bible. We sometimes call them the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. And he wouldn't have read the whole thing, it would take 12 to 16 hours to do that. Maybe he read part of it, maybe just the book of Deuteronomy or certain important sections. But what he was reading from is what we have at the beginning of our Bible. Now, in this time, for Ezra and Nehemiah, they didn't have the whole Bible that we have. Jesus hadn't come yet. The uh, New Testament prophets and apostles hadn't written down the fullness of God's revelation. But what they did have was considered to be the word of God. It is part of our Bible. And and you'll notice here, when they talk about what it is, there is a two ways of thinking about it. On one hand, it is the law of Moses. God used Moses, a prophet, to reveal himself to the people. God uses humans to reveal himself to others. In the Old Testament, they were called prophets. In the New Testament, we speak of them as apostles and sometimes prophets as well. But not only is it the law of Moses, it's the law of Moses that the Lord commanded Israel. And so even though Moses was used, he was the one who wrote down the words, God was guiding him and leading him. It was a command from God. It's not surprising that later in verse 8, the very same book could be described as the law of God. So when he's reading from the first five books of our Bible, it's both the law of Moses and the law of God. It's God who commanded it. In the New Testament, one of the apostles, Peter, described it this way. He says, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter would say, Moses gave the law as the Holy Spirit carried him along. And so it's not surprising when the people hear this law of God read... They respond as if God is speaking. They they hear it with a sense of reverence. Do you notice how they have a special platform that's built? Ezra stands on the platform. Part of that was practical. He needed to be heard. There could have been very many people there. But also as he stands, the people stand also. It's one way that we might show our respect. And as they finish, the people all say, Amen, Amen, and they lift up their hands. Now, if you're here today for one of the first times, you may have noticed we already did something very similar. When I finished reading this passage in Nehemiah chapter 8, everyone said, I said, this is the word of the Lord, and everyone said, thanks be to God, right? It was a very similar type of thing. It's how we acknowledge this comes from God, Nehemiah or Ezra or, or one of their helpers actually wrote it and put it into a book but we know God was guiding them this is the word of God that's the first and most important thing we learn about effective sermons more important than our technique more important than any of the the technical things that happen when someone's trying to explain an idea is we need to know that when we hear the Bible read and explained we're here we hear God speaking These people knew it, and that was the first reason it was really an effective sermon. The second thing, however, is that Ezra and his friends were working hard. In an effective sermon, the preacher makes the Bible understandable. That's also one of your uh, points you might check out. In In an effective sermon, the preacher makes the Bible understandable. It's one of the most notable features of this passage. Five times The word understood or understand is used to describe what's going on. In verse 2, the people who come are described as all who could understand what they heard. And in verse 3, the same thing, they're described as those who understand. That's one of the reasons why we often have our younger children go to children's church. We want them to understand and sometimes they need helpers who can make it make that, that known to them but continuing in verse seven there were there were other helpers who came alongside the people after it was the word was read there were 13 levites in chapter 17 uh, chapter i'm sorry verse seven these levites were people who had the job of helping people to understand their religious duties and so these levites went out into the crowd that's the picture we seem to have. They didn't have a microphone. And they explained to them and helped them to understand what was read. In verse 8, the description here is that they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And finally, we see as uh, part of their response is this great joy. All the people went on their way rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Part of this is that perhaps a translation. It might be that the people that were living in the land didn't understand the Hebrew of the book of, uh, the book of the law of Moses well enough. But it also seems that it's more than that. Because not only is it being translated, but they're giving the sense. And you'll notice that they are taking God's word and applying it to their life. In in verse 9, we see everyone involved. Nehemiah again comes out to help, and Ezra and the Levites, and they help tell the people, this is how you respond. The people were crying when they heard what God had expected of them, and they explained to them, this is the appropriate response. They tell them, go and eat and drink and send the portions to everyone. And in fact, in verse 11, it says, they calmed the people. They not only explained it, but they showed them, here's how it's meant to relate to your life. Friends, this is really what preaching is. What's happening right now is I'm attempting to explain these words, give you the sense of them, and show you what you should do with it. But the content is the word of God. Again, this is a helpful introduction to thinking about what a sermon is. The main point of a sermon, the reason we come together and listen to God's word and we hear God's word explained and applied is because God's word has power and the message must come from the message of the book. My role today as a broken and weak and sinful person is to try and explain to you not my ideas but the ideas of the book and to make them understandable to you. The third thing we see, however, is not only does God use helpers to explain the message, but there's a role for the people as well. This is, I think, notable for all of us and important to give attention to. The third thing we see is that in an effective sermon, listeners are attentive. In verse 3, it says, The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. In fact, in the very beginning, it says, The people asked Ezra to come and read to them. They were engaged in the process. It's sometimes common for us to use the term active listener, to describe someone who really listens well. When we listen one-on-one, we can ask a lot of questions. We can be a really good active listener and one-on-one. But when you listen to a sermon, you can be an active listener as well. That doesn't really mean you have an opportunity to raise your hand and ask a question, but you can be thinking about it. You can come already thinking that God is going to speak to me today. And afterwards, you can remember what was said and chew on it a little bit. Is that a funny word to use? In one of our songs today, we described God's word as being food for us. And if you go to dinner at night, you sit around the table, and perhaps your mom or your dad brings out food, they've prepared it for you. But you still have to chew it. You still have to spend some of your own energy bringing it into your body. There's an analogy there. My job or the job of any preacher is to prepare a meal to bring God's word, to make it understandable, to show you this is what it means for your life, but you have to chew it. You have to think about it. You have to make sure it connects to the parts of your life. You can talk with your friends, with your family. You can write down your sermon notes. You can pray about it beforehand and afterwards. One of the questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, what is the responsibility of those who hear a sermon? And they give this wonderful answer. It is required of those who hear the word preached that they listen to it with diligence preparation and prayer, that they examine what they hear by comparing it to the scriptures, that they receive the truth with faith, love, and meekness, readiness of mind as the word of God, that they meditate and think on it, that they hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. We have a role as active listeners to chew on the word that we receive. The fourth thing, however, is this calls for a response. A sermon is not merely a wonderful set of ideas or even a not so wonderful set of ideas but if God is really speaking in the word in the Bible then God is speaking to us as we hear it read and as we hear the word explained and if God is speaking then we need to respond in this passage one of the reasons that we we look at it and I, I called it an effective sermon is the people really understand and their understanding changes them sometimes i I can get a little bit distracted at home and i'm thinking about things maybe thinking about the sermon and someone in my family will talk to me and afterwards they'll notice that my expression didn't change or i didn't do anything differently you know daddy can you help me i'm just looking like this and if i haven't changed it shows i haven't really listened and sometimes when that happens someone in my family might say are you listening to me They know I'm listening when I respond. The the same thing is happening here. What God wants from us when we hear his word is he wants a response. Three things that we see, three types of responses in the passage. The first is worship. When they hear the word of God read, their first response is this. They bow their heads and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's one of the things that shows us we, that we know they believed they were hearing the word of God, not just something Ezra was saying. If Ezra the scribe just got up and talked himself about his ideas, people may have liked Ezra and they may have liked hearing it, but they wouldn't have worshipped God with their faces to the ground. They knew that they were hearing something more than even the words of Moses, the great prophet, because God had spoken through Moses. Moses. The second response was a grief over their sin. Verses 9 and 10, uh, we, the people began to mourn and weep so much that, that Nehemiah had to come out as the governor and he helped Ezra and the priests and the, uh, the scribe and the Levites and they taught the people and they said, this is how you respond. The reason they were weeping probably is they heard all of the commands of God. They heard the covenant promises, maybe they were reading the book of Deuteronomy, and they heard everything God expected them to do to love him with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength, and they realized, I haven't done that. Do you remember we had a part in our worship service today where we confessed to God, God, we haven't obeyed your law as we should, we haven't responded, we haven't loved you as we should. It is appropriate. Good, that we recognize that, that we have even a grief over our sin. Friends, at every time of renewal in church history, when God worked to bring spiritual revitalization to his people, new energy and new life, it always comes with a sense of grief over sin. But that's not the end of the story. They're not going there just to be sad. It moves through sadness to joy. Because God is a God who saves us from our sin. The, the people, when the, the leaders, when they speak to them say, the day is holy to the Lord. It's not a day for dwelling in our mourning and our weeping, though that may be an important step. They move past it because they see the goodness of God in his salvation. We don't know everything that they said. We would like to hear more. But we know that even the law of Moses had many pictures that showed God is a God who's able to save. He gives sacrifices for your sin. He's a God who loves you and has called you to rest in his care. And so the people, when they hear and understand, begin to move with joy Verse 11, it says, the Levites calmed the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions, that is, share what they had with others, and to make great rejoicing. You notice this, verse. Uh, we're still in verse 12, because they had understood the words that were declared to them when they heard and understood the meaning of the the message of God in the law of Moses, they not only worshipped and grieved their sin, but they rejoiced. The good news of the gospel in its very beginning form was made known to them. Our fifth and final thing that we do as we look beyond this passage is, And remember that there are many things about it that were different. This was a long time ago. If we want to understand the fullness of what it means to have joy in God's salvation, we look to Jesus. In an effective sermon, God's salvation is seen most fully in Jesus. We're reminded of these differences with Nehemiah and Ezra. They had been taught in God's law as well as in the prophets to look forward with hope to a greater moses a greater king a greater leader a greater priest this great figure who would come in history is the lord jesus christ god himself in human form lived among us and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin in his, in the gospel of john at the beginning of that gospel john the apostle says the law was given through moses But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Every sermon may not have Jesus as the main character. The sermon we're looking at today doesn't use his name. But we always remember that we read it as people who are saved in Jesus. And we see the the foreshadows of a joyous salvation. We receive it in Christ. And so an effective sermon is a sermon that reminds us that Jesus is a good savior. That God is not only a God of holiness and power and majesty, but a God of love and a God of grace. So what do we learn about effective sermons? We learn first and foremost that the sermon message has to come from the Bible because the Bible is God's word. We learn secondly that the role of a preacher is to make the Bible understandable so that we understand what God is saying and third there's a role for listeners we are called to chew on the food we are called to uh, to take it and to understand it and to be attentive listeners are to be attentive and the listeners are called to respond we respond with worship with grief in appropriate ways but ultimately with joy as we see a good salvation All of this happens as we see God's power most clearly in Jesus. The fullness of all that he was doing, everything that we're leading to here, was be seen most clearly in the salvation in Christ. Let's pray together that God would make the sermons of our church and the sermons you hear other places effective for your spiritual renewal. Let's pray.